I grow up, I want to be an engineer. When I grow up, I want to be an author. When I grow up, I want to be a fine art thief. When I grow up, I want to be a When I grow up, I want to be a When I grow up, I want to be a When I grow up, I want to be a Welcome to My Dilettante Life, where we hear from people who have cool or unusual jobs about their professional lives. I'm podcast host and resident dilettante, Hannah Binder. Thank you for joining me today on My Dilettante Life. I'm your host, Hannah Binder, and today I am talking with Catherine or Katie Holtkamp. Uh, super excited to talk with you today about your experience kind of in the entertainment industry at large, but also in your about your tenure with one of the world's most admired organizations, Cirque du Soleil. So thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to, to be on your podcast. I really love the whole concept. <laughs> Great. I'm glad at least one of us does. No, just kidding. <laughs> I, I like it too. <laughs> Wonderful. So um, yeah, just to kind of dive right in. I mean, we've known each other technically for quite some time. We grew up together in Los Alamos, but, you know, it's been quite a while since we've spoken. I've followed your career, thanks to the magic of Facebook, with interest. (laughs) But I'd love to hear in your own words, um, just kind of a a general overview of your background. How did you get into the field? Was it something you dreamed about as a kid? Uh, Yeah, Um, I mean, you and I did music and and theater together and Oleans back in the day in in high school. Um, And so, you know, even back then, I I really knew that performing was uh, my calling. Uh, You know, I I always felt most at home on stage and telling a story and and, uh, using my voice to, to, to do that. Um, so, you know, kind of in Oleans in high school was, was definitely the, the start of all of that. Um, my senior year of high school, uh, I went to, uh, Idlewild Arts Academy, uh, where I, um, really dove into, um, you know, theater and, and music, uh, as a career path, um, you know, up until then, like in high school, it was just, you know, the after school programs and, and things. And it was definitely a passion. But um, my senior year of high school is when I really started uh, seeing it as as my my life's path. Um, so after after that, I came back to New Mexico, went to the College of Santa Fe, uh, where I was uh, studying musical theater still, um, and then went to New York and pounded the pavement for a long time there. Um, And then my, my path was really in musical theater. Broadway was, was really the, the goal at that time. Um, But even since, even since high school and and maybe even before that, uh, I always had this itch in the back of my mind to sing for Cirque du Soleil. Um, And that was because when when I was younger, I don't know if you remember this, but on on Bravo, uh, on New Year's Eve, they would play like the recorded shows of Cirque du Soleil, uh, and they would do like this marathon of of the shows on on uh, Bravo on New Year's Eve, and I sat there watching specifically uh, the show Dralion, um was kind of the 
aha moment. You know, there's this part where the female singer uh, descends from the top of the big top and she's singing this incredible melody and it's, and it's just the spectacle of it. And the music was so powerful to me that I said, that's what I want to do. Um, and that singer's name, uh, Agnes Soyer, uh, she still inspires me to this day. Like she was always on my vision board. <laughs> um, and so, you know, even though I spent, you know, about eight years in New York, uh, pounding the pavement there, I kind of got to a point where I wasn't, I wasn't enjoying that grind anymore. Um, going to auditions, the constant rejection, and even, even the industry itself, I was kind of like, oh, this doesn't, this doesn't hit the way it used to, you know? Like seeing certain shows, seeing the shows that were being produced on Broadway and, and whatnot, I was just like, I'm not, I'm not inspired by this. This doesn't, this doesn't um, resonate with me anymore. Um, so it was about that time that I really kind of uh, swallowed my fear about auditioning for Cirque and I sent in my first tape. Um, so that was 2014, 2014. Um, and, and less than a couple of days later after sending in that tape, I got word from Cirque that uh, I was in their casting da database. And I was like, whoa, because that's, that's kind of the first step. The, the audition process is that you send in a tape. If they like you, they invite you for a live audition. Um, and then based on that live audition, then you get put in the casting database. So I was kind of like, I kind of like skipped that live audition bit, went right into the database. And I was like, oh, okay. All right. This is, this is going to happen. And, and, and less than a couple of weeks later, I was actually contacted about this role that I'm in now in Kusa, um, and sent in more audition material to the casting team. Uh, unfortunately, didn't get cast, um, but it, it would be three more tries before I actually got the role. Um, but it was the, the start of realizing like, okay, this, this is the ultimate goal and it's worth waiting for. Um, so around that time, a little after that time, my husband and I moved to Maui because, you know, we were over New York. <laughs> And uh, I kept doing music, I kept doing theater, um, and, and I'm working with an amazing theater community on Maui that, that I'm still dear, dear friends with and, and, uh, and love and, and admire so much that they do really, really incredible work, you know, for in this tiny island in the middle of the Pacific. Um, and, you know, I would keep getting contacted by Cirque uh, about this role and other roles and other shows. And so I would just, I would just keep sending in the tapes and, and it was, uh, about six years of auditioning before the timing was right. The, the right role opened up and, um, that was in February of 2020. <laughs> and I was supposed to go to Montreal in March. Um, and three days before my flight, we all know what happened. <laughs> the world shut down. Um, so then it was another two years of waiting. Uh, and thankfully, 
uh, the opportunity came back around and, and I started with the company in November of last year. So um, now I'm on the road and, and singing in this amazing show. I, this, I can't say enough good things about this show. It's, it's an absolute celebrated 15 years of being uh, a Cirque show this year. Um, so it's just been, it's been a wild ride. <laughs> that sounds amazing. I, I do have to say, I remember, um, you know, again, through the, the magic of Facebook, allowing us to have peeks into everyone else's lives, seeing that you had gotten in and being super excited at this huge accomplishment. And then, yeah, just yeah. like yeah. the inevitable, um, not inevitable, it's not inevitable that we had a pandemic, but once the right. pandemic kind of took over things, uh, just sort of realizing how much it upended people's lives at such crucial moments and this being, um, yeah, such a such a big change for you. Um, I want to ask you kind of, you know, what it was like, or if you've thought about sort of how that maybe has changed things for performing as Cirque, but before I do... I want to ask, now that you've been kind of on, on the outside looking in, mm-hmm. uh, wanting to join the Cirque family, <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming it's sort of a, a family of sorts, and now that you've spent some time in mm-hmm. there, how is it perceived from the outside? Is it something that, you know, I, w- I would think that certain kind of an entertainment realms have certain reputations? Well, I mean, the first thing people think of when they think of Cirque du Soleil is the acrobats, right? People flying through the air, doing death-defying stunts. Um, and there certainly is that uh, in our show. I do not do any of those things. <laughs> uh, what something a lot of people ask me when I, when I got the job, they're like, oh, so are you going to be like flying through the air? I was like, have you met me? Like, that's not, no. My feet stay. You can, you- have this secret side to you. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it it did uh, make me realize that a lot of people, they don't realize that how the music piece works in Cirque du Soleil, um, which is actually pretty fascinating and um, and a challenge as as a singer uh, and a musician. So most of the time when you have a show with music, the action on the stage is following the music, you know, you say five, six, seven, eight, and you do your choreography to the dance. Um, This is kind of the opposite. So essentially the music has to follow the action on stage. Um, And how that works is, uh, you know, we have a, we, our whole band is eight people, um, six instrumentalists, and then myself and another singer. Um, and these instrumentalists, uh, are literally some of the best musicians I've ever worked with. Uh, they're absolutely incredible. Most of them play multiple instruments. Uh, our band leader plays, I think like eight different instruments. It's crazy. Like keys, guitar, saxophone, clarinet, flute, like all these different things. Um, and, and he's calling the show. So how that works is we all have in-ear monitors um, where we can hear ourselves, we can hear all the instrumentation, but we can also hear, we have talkback mics. And so the band leader will talk to us through this, through this talkback mic. So we'll be playing, we'll be singing, somebody will be talking in our ear, ready to call the next section of music. Um, and 
a, a good example is, uh, you know, teeterboard. It's like the, the big finale at the end of the show. And it's always a, a bit of a wild card, you know, because the act will change from day to day. There will be a different number of jumps. There will be different people doing the jumps who take different amounts of time to set up for each jump. And so the band leader is, is watching the action on stage through a video monitor up, up on the, the Bataclan, which is basically like our bandstand um, at the back of the stage. Um, and, you know, he'll see that, you know, we'll, we'll be vamping on something and, or I'll be singing a passage and the, the jump, the, the flyer will step onto the board and we know, okay, the jump's coming. We see the two people, the two porters running to, to jump onto the other end of the, of the board and launch them into the air. And at just the right time at the peak of their jump, he'll call three and, and then we're into the next section of music. So it hits right when the, the flyer lands the trick. Um, so that's how the music works with the acrobatics, but we, we are essentially following them. So it's not, you're never, we're never playing the songs the same way. Um, and so that's, that's really, it keeps every show fresh. Uh, it keeps uh, every show interesting. But sometimes we're on our toes, you know, because if somebody misses a trick and they want to go back and try it again, we have to be ready to go back a section of music so that it fits with what's happening on the stage. That's so interesting because, you know, in, in my experience with music, it's always been very predictable. Like we have mm -hmm. a piece, we're in a band, we don't, we're not doing this alongside performers. So you play the piece through, right? but it doesn't sound, it's not at all like an organism. And it sounds like you all are kind of this living, breathing creature that mm -hmm. has to work together like our organs do. But sometimes like, I don't know, my mouth is going to do something that my lungs might not be expecting. <laughs> my brain has to coordinate it all. And you all are the lungs and the brain and the mouth all at the same time, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, you know, some of, you know, this, this, uh, just being able to multitask, um, you know, like I say it when you're, when, when I'm singing, and I hear the band leader calling the next section of music, I still am singing, and, and you can't be distracted by certain things in your ears, uh, or, you know, what's happening on stage, if, if something is going awry, <laughs> you know, you, you have to be really, really focused. Um, but at the same time, like, because of that, it's, it's not like, you know, like when I would do a, a touring show and I we were doing the same show every single night, you kind of start to go into autopilot a little bit and, you know, you, you don't want that, but sometimes it's just like, okay, it's the same show. Like I know what's happening and it just kind of becomes muscle memory. Right. And you just kind of go into that, that autopilot. But with this particular, uh, structure, the way that the, the music and everything works in the show, you can't like, you literally cannot, or you're going to, you're going to miss something. You're going to miss an entrance. You're going <laughs> to, you know, screw up a phrase. <laughs> There's no phoning it in when you have to be so on your toes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've never been to in person to a Cirque du Soleil show, but I've seen um, several, yeah, kind of similarly on um, on the TV or, or YouTube or whatever. Yeah, and I mean, it's 
it's funny because that you are kind of giving a peek into how it works because I do always think like it looks so flawless. It looks right. so well done and it's clear that there's a lot of time and energy and effort that's gone into the production, but it mm-hmm. does feel artistic. It doesn't feel kind of overplayed or routine. And right. so it's really interesting to hear you talk about people uh, maybe missing a trick or maybe mixing things up because mm-hmm. they're individual and they have the freedom creatively to do that. But right. yet, as you all are such professionals and such accomplished performers, they have the space to do that, knowing that you all will will react alongside them. Right, right. Well, and that's that's literally the job. You know, the the job when they're hiring musicians, when they're hiring singers, they want to know that you can improvise and that you can uh, you can make something up in the event that that a trick is missed and they have to go back or technically something's going wrong. The automation system is, has a bug and, and, you know, somebody's not flying when they're supposed to, um, the band has to vamp and cover until they can, they can fix the problem and then move on with the act. Um, you know, and that's happened before too, you know, like, uh, when there's so much technology, uh, you know, we have so many, we have a ton of fail safes and, 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 uh, and protocols for when things go wrong. But if it happens in a show, the band has to cover until we hear the stage manager say like, we're doing a show stop, you know, like, like basically we have to just keep going until, you know, and, and we do hear the stage managers as well in our in-ears at certain points in the show. Um, so it's not just our band leader talking to us, it's stage management, you know, it's, it's each other. Sometimes if we, if, if something in the mix is not right, you know, one of the players will come on and be like, I need five dBs less of this in my ears. So there's like, it's, it's, um, it's really, it's really interesting. It's, it's a very different way from, uh, how I'm used to performing. Well, so that segues nicely into my next question, which is, Given that you've been in the performing space for for quite some time, but in other capacities, what surprised you um, or what's been unexpected about your work with Cirque? I knew going in the concept, you know, that that things would be happening in my ears. And while I'd never done that before, I was mentally prepared for it, you know, because because I kind of at that when I got the job, I, I more or less understood uh how it worked, you know, just through research. And, and I was uh, such a geek while I was auditioning, I was contacting Cirque singers that I could find on Instagram and Facebook and this, that, and the other. And so many of them were just like, so gracious and, um, and giving of their, their, their time and their advice. Um, and, and really made me feel like I was very prepared um, that, and I had two years to learn all the music <laughs> before actually going to the job. Um, because, you know, when I booked the job, they'd sent me all the materials to learn and, and everything. And I mean, and again, like I, I knew that seeing people doing superhuman things on a daily basis was, was going to be, um, you know, awe-inspiring and, and at times terrifying. <laughs> Um, I guess like, I guess what surprised me, well, yeah, I'll say this. I guess what surprised me is how quickly I adapted, um, given how, uh, different 
it is from from uh, your quote unquote typical um, musical performance. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, that's well, not a great. Answer. And I guess I mean, if, if I, I know it's been a while since you've been out, like sort of an outsider looking in as a non-professional, but. Are there things that people mm-hmm. would find surprising who aren't already in the entertainment space about what it means to work for Cirque? Yeah, um, you know, like I said, I, th- I think most most people, you know, they think of Cirque du Soleil and, and they automatically go, oh yeah, the acrobats. And many of them don't even realize that the music is played live. Like that's that's just not something that, that enters into their minds. Um, in our show, luckily, it's pretty clear that the music is live because the band is all on stage and, you know, we're right there. Um, but for a lot of shows, the band is situated backstage, kind of out of view of the audience. Um, and there's just like a singer or something on stage at, at times. So a lot of people don't know that that the music is, is played live. Um, and... Uh, and so I think it it just would give people a deeper appreciation for how well the music fits with the action on stage to know that that it's kind of this symbiotic relationship between the people on stage and and the band, um, and that and that the, the the acrobats can't and shouldn't be expected to land a jump at the exact right moment so that it fits with the music. <laughs> you know that's that's not that's not possible, but that's exactly why the music is, is played live. I think the only Cirque du Soleil show that doesn't have live musicians is, um, Beatles love in Vegas. Um, and, and with that, like, you know, I, I've, I've seen that show and, and it's incredible, but it is, uh, the, the tricks are not, um, they're, they're timed differently so that uh so that they they still fit with the music kind of regardless of where they are in in the trick um but you know the the best part about the live music in this show is uh you know the little the little flares that that some of our musicians will add like our drummer is incredible at at doing this uh you know there's a there's a diablo juggling act that's uh, one of our backup acts and Every time the the apparatus, you know, it, he he catches the the Diablo, you know, our drummer will add a like a cymbal flare or a, or a snare hit, and it just like accentuates every little trick that's that's happening on the stage, and it just enriches everything. But like he could never possibly catch, you know, his his Diablo every single time on those drum hits if it was pre recorded, you know, um, so it. That's that's kind of one of the unique things about Cirque specifically um, that uh, that they're able to do um, thanks to technology. <laughs> I know I'm wondering what because how long has Cirque du Soleil been around? When was it founded? 1984 um, was the first show, um, and I mean the the Vegas shows. Oh gosh, I should know. I should know what, what, when those began. Um, but you know, like, like I was born in 1985. So Cirque is not that much older than I am. <laughs> You're talking about technology and I'm thinking, you know, earpieces and wireless yeah. communication. I mean, 
how did they do it back then? Well, those, those shows, I don't think were structured this, the way that they are now. Um, but, you know, as soon as like we had wireless, like RF technology um, and, you know, uh, you're able to do that, the, like the in-ear monitors, you're able to in, in real time, uh, take the instrumentation that you're playing, pump it into your in-ears along with talkback mics and this, that, and the other, as well as mixing what the audience hears. Cause obviously the audience doesn't hear what we hear. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I, I think that technology has been around for quite a while. I couldn't tell you exactly when they started, you know, doing, doing these, uh, structuring the shows this way. Um, but I think it really like elevated um, Cirque in, in uh, a unique way when they did that. Well, and it sounds like the, the organization as a whole has been able to kind of grow along with the available technologies and their own vision as it's maybe changed over the years. Do you have a burning question for a previously interviewed guest? Do you want an update from a particular interview? Submit your question on the podcast website, and it may be featured on an upcoming Audience Asks segment, where we have a quick check-in or follow-up with someone who appeared earlier on the show. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm wondering, based on the different structure of this type of performance versus some of the other musical performance that you've done and onstage work that you've done. How is your relationship with the audience different than in those other settings? There's definitely a different sense of um, like the fourth wall, right? So in a, in a musical, most of the time as, as an actor, as a performer, um, the audience is just kind of witnessing what's happening on stage. They're not involved um, with what's happening and, and you, you're not directly addressing them ex- except for you know, some, some rare instances in certain musicals when they're written to break that fourth wall. Um, with Cirque, you know, especially in the big top, it's, we're, we're surrounded by the audience almost on all sides. You know, it's, it's kind of a, in the round, not, not completely in the round, but you know, like three quarters <laughs> in the round. Um, and so there are definitely opportunities to directly connect with the audience. Um, you know, especially the, the opening of the show. Um, I love it so much. It's, it's just this, this moment where the music swells and, you know, the band is kind of hidden on the Bataclan at the top of the show and the scrim opens and beautiful lights come and, and the whole Bataclan moves downstage in this like one, like amazing moment like it it I tear up every time <laughs> a little bit because <laughs> it's just so like powerful um and and you know the singers like we're basically directly connecting with the audience welcome welcoming them into the world of Kuza um and so there's there's this it's a different medium from from musical theater or, or stage play in that, you know, we really want the audience to feel like they're part of what's happening on show. And there are even certain parts in the show where the clowns, you know, will directly crawl all over the audience or pull somebody up and make them do a humiliating dance. And, and it's great. And people love it. And like, that's, that's circus. Um, And, 
so the other thing that's very different about uh, this type of performance for me specifically as a singer is, you know, we're not, <clears throat> how do I put this? Like people come to Cirque to see the acrobats, right? So we're kind of more in this supporting role. Um, and so much of the time I find myself singing directly to the artist that is about to do a crazy trick or a crazy jump. And, and there's this kind of exchange of energy. You know, if they're having a great day and they're feeling like, like, broad, like extra, like I feel that and that I respond with that in how I sing. Um, and, and the same goes for me. Like if I'm feeling like really great and I'm like, I want to give you a little bit extra something today, or I change a vocal line slightly, you know, I'll see the artist kind of be like, Ooh, okay. And, and like, there's, there's just this communication between us. Um, and, and that's, that's kind of, that's kind of magical. Um, you know, especially because in, in musical theater, you know, as a, as a singer, like we're expected to sing it same way every single time, every single show, which I can do. Like that's, that's not a problem, but to keep things interesting, to keep things alive and juicy, um, you know, you, you, you need to have that, that, that responding of energy between the audience, between the artists on stage, between the other band members, um, there's always kind of that exciting flow of energy between all of us, um, which is really different from any other type of performance that I've done in the past. Now, I'm wondering, since you've been with Cirque since November, but you've talked about having spoken with other performers who've been with the company for longer, mm -hmm. how do they manage or can you imagine what you will do over the years to keep it fresh that whole time? Even I, I'm just thinking, even if I were to put myself in your shoes where you are responding to other people, not always playing things or singing things the same way every time because it is this sort of changeable thing. I would imagine you can kind of fall into a rut in some ways, but how do you, how do you find that people, the performers with the organization keep it fresh over the years? Um, a few different ways. Um, one of the ways is that the show is always changing. The show is always evolving. Um, you know, for example, uh, in the next city, um, one of our artists will be, will be departing the show, um, you know, for, for a new opportunity. Um, and so we'll be getting in a new act to, and it's a different medium. So, so the, the performer that, that has been in the show does, uh, like a, a high flying, really fast spinning contortion straps act. So she's on, she's on a straps apparatus and the next artist that's going to be taking over that chunk of, of the show is a silks artist. She does silks, but she's really dynamic. She's really like fierce and, and, and strong. And so it fits with, it's this really like rock number. Um, and, and so you know, just, just a new act being in that place is gonna, you know, breathe new life into the show as well. Um, when one of our characters decides they're, they, they're, they want to move on to another opportunity and just having a new person in, in a certain role, um, that will 
the the show is always morphing. It's always changing. Um, it's very much alive. And so that's that's one way. Um, but also Cirque is is really wonderful about like once you're in, you have the opportunity to move to other shows. So for the singers, like I, I know several singers who have done lots of different shows because they just they they spend a couple of years on one show. And when they're like, OK, I'm ready for for a new challenge. Um, so and so is leaving that show. I'm going to put in my materials and, and see if I can get transferred. Um, so that's that's another way. Um, and then finally, I think also the, the benefit of being on a big top tour is every couple of months we're in a new place, we're in a new city. And, and so that's always, it's always going to be different energies, different, different crowds, different uh, experiences in, in every city, um, a different site, you know, things will be in different places <laughs> every, every place we go. Um, and so in, in that sense, it kind of keeps itself fresh. <laughs> Yeah, it almost sounds like there's not um, a lot of time to really develop a routine and like fall into a rut. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and, and you know, like, like I've been doing on my own, just doing things as well during my, during my free days. Because, you know, when you have a show at night, you still have the whole day. Um, so, you know, I've been working on trying to get a little stronger because when you're surrounded by Olympic level athletes all the time, it makes you feel a little bad about yourself. Got it. (laughs) You know, creating challenges for myself as well. Maybe one day I'll, I'll ask the hoops girl to teach me a little, little hula hoop, but you know, uh, I'll leave the flying through the air and, and bending themselves in half to the professionals. (laughs) Now, do most people, I guess maybe there might be a difference that you would see between the sort of um, movement performers, for lack of a better term, and uh, the musicians. Do, hmm. do you notice that people in the musician space, do they tend to stay with Cirque for quite some time? Or is it sort of something they do for a few years and then kind of move on? It, it depends. Um, like uh, our current band leader and assistant band leader have been with the company at least, at least 10 years, I want to say. And then uh, our bass player has been with Kuza since it opened. So for 15 years, he's been with this show. Um, and uh, and he, he's just an incredible musician. And I, I always have him turned up in my mix so that I can hear all the little nuances because he, he never plays this, the show the same way twice. You know, he's, he's one of those musicians that he's always, he's always pushing himself to discover new things. And, and that's how he keeps it fresh. That's how he can be on the same show for 15 years and not be bored <laughs> and, and still love it, you know? Yeah. Do you, do you find that it tends to attract a certain type of personality compared to the musicians and performers that you've met in other spaces? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I, I want to say yes. (laughs) Um, I I imagine so. Yeah. I mean, because there are certainly, there are certainly very skilled, very capable musicians out there um, that could never play 
the way that we play, you know, that in, in the sense of, you know, like with, with what I was talking about with the inner monitors and people talking to you and this, that, and the other, um, <clears throat> you know, like they, they have to be great improvisers. They, they have to just be very confident in their own skills that they can do that, that multitasking that I was talking about. Um, I think also, you know, there are certain musicians out there that, you know, they, they just want to play their own music. You know, they don't want to play music by someone else. And, and so, you know, that's their, that's what they're aspiring to do is to, is to bring their music to the world. Um, and that's not to say that, that our musicians aren't composers themselves. They are, um, <clears throat> but they like having the steady gig. They like, the opportunity to travel, work in different countries, um, and uh, and you know get paid well and have good health benefits and, and all the things that come with having a, a steady gig like this. I'm wondering. So I know you you mentioned when you came to Cirque that a lot of folks just kind of automatically assumed you were going to be tossing yourself <laughs> hundreds of feet in the air, doing all sorts of tricks. What yeah. other conceptions though do you find that people have about what it means to work for Cirque? There are certainly people in the company that uh, that have you know the party mentality lifestyle like they're they're young and and healthy and and have the energy to be going out and clubbing and this that and the other in, in every city um, but then there are, you know, the more homebodies like me that, you know, I, I come home after a show and, and, uh, and just unwind a little and go to bed and wake up the next day. And like, like, like I'm here to work, you know, that's the thing. I, I, I think that through, across the company, there's, there's so many different personalities. Like it's, it's not, uh, <clears throat> you can't, you can't really, uh, you know, compartmentalize, uh, you know, what, what is the lifestyle on, on Cirque because everybody does it differently. Um, and, uh, and, and that's what, what makes it, I think, so like a family because, you know, there's it, all the different personalities that you find in, in a family you find on this tour. Um, because it's not just the, the acrobats and the musicians, it's the, the stagehands, the, the carpenters and, uh, the guys taking care of the automation and the rigging and the lighting and the sound team. And, and then you have all the site guys, the people that, that make sure the plumbing is working on site and like the, 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 the electricity is working and that the, the big top's not going to burn down. And, and, and then the people who work in the kitchen who feed us every day and make sure that we're, that we're um, fed well and, and get good nutrition because these are top level athletes that have to perform it at optimal, you know, levels. Um, and so all of these, all of these, and, and then you have our administrative team who, you know, take care of, you know, all of our flights and our lodging and any other issues that we, if we need a doctor in a city, you know, we, like there are so many different uh, occupations that go into making the show work. Um, and so, yeah, you have all the different personalities to match that. 
Yeah, I'm curious, you know, this is not the first time that you've done a show sort of on the road, as I understand. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about what that's like. Just, you know, you're talking about at the end of my show, I, I go home and go to bed. Mm-hmm. But what does that mean when you are doing something that travels? Well, quote unquote home, <laughs> you know, to my to my room, to whatever lodging has been <laughs> arranged for me. Um, no. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's def- this this kind of touring, honestly, has been uh, quite a bit easier on me because, you know, we spend a couple of months in a city. So you have time to get to know a place and unpack your suitcases, frankly, (laughs) you know, before I was doing like bus and truck tours, uh, where sometimes, you know, we would have one nighters in a city. So we'd drive into the city, go straight to the theater, do sound check, warm up, makeup costumes, do the show, go back to the hotel that we haven't even had time to check into yet, check in, go to sleep, wake up at four o'clock in the morning to get on the bus, to drive to the next city, to do it all over again. Um, so that was, you know, grueling, that kind of schedules, but this, this, this is quite relaxed in in comparison. Um, but it's also a gargantuan operation in comparison. You know, we travel essentially with our own building, the, the building that the show is in travels with us, you know, um, and as opposed to, you know, just a set and, some pieces of equipment that transfer into different theaters. Um, so it's, it's definitely, it's a different animal. It's a different animal completely. <laughs> um, tell me just out, out of curiosity, where have you been so far on during your tenure with the show? Yes. Yeah, so thus far, we've only been to two places uh, since the show relaunched uh, Punta Cana in the Dominican Republic. We were there for, about five months because um, we had a, a month of rehearsal to remount the show since it had been closed for two years. Um, and then, and then we, we, uh, we finished out our run there. We closed there beginning of April. Um, and then we had a, a month off to transport everything from Punta Cana up here to Montreal, where we are right now. Um, we just closed the show this last weekend here in Montreal um, next up, we go to Gatineau, um, which is, you know, Ottawa area right across the river from Ottawa. Um, and then this fall, we get to go to Guadalajara and then, uh, Mexico city is where we finish out the year. Um, so in general, the, the tour will be sticking to North America for the next couple of years. Um, can't say the exact locations yet because they're not official, but Mexico City, through Mexico City has all been uh, made public. Um, and uh, and so that's, uh, that's where we're headed next. Do you get time off in between? Yeah, so this week we have off, um, you know, like I say, we closed the show here in Montreal on Sunday. On Monday, they'll be transporting the artists that are still here in Montreal to Gatineau, and then we'll open later that week. So usually a transfer between cities takes about two weeks. Um, So sometimes people will, you know, go on vacation, they'll travel, um, or, you know, in my case, I'm like, well, I'm just going to stay put and just enjoy my time off. Um, 
and then, but after Get to Know, we have about two weeks because um, the show is going to be transferring to Guadalajara. And so my husband and I will be going on vacation. Then we'll be, we'll be going and paying Maui a little visit since we haven't been there since we moved. Um, and uh, so, yeah, basically between every city, because they need the time to tear everything down, to move it to the next place and then set everything back up. Um, the artists usually have a bit of a break between each city. I would imagine it's kind of um, as all consuming as it sounds like the the work is, it's maybe nice to have a little bit of time off to kind of cleanse your palate and get refreshed to come back and bring your whole self to the next oh, show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Especially because we're doing, uh, you know, here in Montreal, we were doing upwards of nine shows a week, um, which, uh, you know, for me as a, as a vocalist, that's, that's a lot of shows to sing. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm really happy with, uh, you know, how I've developed uh, the sustainability to sing that many shows a week in a way that's healthy, in a way that's not, you know, causing damage, that's not uh, painful or, or just, you know, totally exhausting. Um, and that'll prepare us for the future when sometimes we'll have as many as 11 shows in a week. Um, and yeah, so for, for the musicians and, and the other singer, like we don't have a backup. I mean, we have, we have tracks. So if we're, if we're sick and can't do the show, like we do have pre-recorded tracks that can be played in sync with the rest of the musicians. Um, but we don't have, I don't have like a, an understudy. You know, like in, in most musical theater, every role will have an understudy, some another physical human being <laughs> that knows the role that can go on for you. Um, we don't have that. Um, for the acrobats, we do have um, backup acts, um, what we call backup acts. So the, there are two acts that are not in the normal lineup of the show, but say, you know, our hoops artist is tired. She needs to take the second show off today okay, we'll put Ruth Sear in for, for the Hoops Act and it's different music. Um, so that's the other thing that's, that's fun about the backup acts is it's two songs that we don't get to do all the time. Um, so they're always special when we do get to do them. Um, and, uh, and then also we have different versions of existing acts. Uh, like we have, uh, uh, like in a normal show, we have a, a trio contortion. So it's three girls that do the contortion act, but they've also made duo contortion. So if one of the girls is injured um, or if we have say a three show day, you know, doing three shows and doing what they do is incredibly difficult. And so they'll rotate, they'll rotate. So each one of them only has to do two shows that day. Um, by doing three different duo contortion acts. Um, same with uh, like our Wheel of Death act. We have three guys that, that do the act, um, but when the act is on stage, it's only two guys, but they'll, they'll rotate depending on how people are feeling. Um, but the exception to that is, is like the characters in the show, um, like our innocent, we only have one of. He does have a backup, but he does, he normally does our chair balancing act. That's the other thing about it, the, some of the performers in this show. They're so versatile and, uh, and like, I'm just always in awe of what they're doing on stage. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I want to take a moment to just, uh, say how much I love that you just toss off our wheel of death act, you know, you know just <laughs> wheel of death act. Yes. 
That's definitely the uh, the headliner act in the show um, is is Wheel of Death. People definitely come to see that. I don't. Do you know what Wheel of Death is? Uh, like what Not that looks exactly. like? Okay, so it's uh, imagine if you will uh, a giant metal structure, like like more or less uh, with two uh, wheels on either end, and it rotates. And the, the, there'll be one guy in each wheel. And so they're, they're kind of, it's kind of like running on a hamster wheel. And so how they, how they motor, quote unquote, motor the wheel is by walking within it and, and they'll do tricks and, and they'll do flips inside of it. Then one of them will jump off and then get on the outside of the wheel as it's still rotating, doing all number of insane jumps and and tricks and uh it's it's absolutely death defying one of one of the performers uh that is in that act has also been with the show for 15 years um which is just amazing to me um so yeah i mean i i guess i can talk if you're interested about like what what are the different acts in the show <laughs> maybe um like the other one that that has performers that have been with the show since the beginning is is our double high wire act. So uh, essentially, we'll raise up two high wires, a high wire and a low wire, and it's four guys on on the wires uh, at any given time. And three of those guys have been with the show for fifteen years since since it opened. So that's that's pretty incredible. Those are like the really big acts is is the high wire and the wheel of death, um, but also our teeterboard act. Uh, like I was telling you uh it's basically a giant seesaw and somebody stands on one end of it a couple of guys run to the other end jump on it and launch that person into the air um so and there's no net to catch them that's just other humans that have to be there and, and ready to catch them um when they land uh and it's just uh and some of the guys do them on stilts uh one of our guys does well two of our guys and they rotate who's doing it, um, will do a jump on a single stilt, you know, so he's raised up about eight feet in the air, standing on a, on one end of a seesaw, two guys climb up onto a tower and then jump onto the other end and launch this guy, you know, about two and a half stories into the air. Um, so it's, it's, it, it sounds absolutely, uh, insane when you talk about it, but then when you when you see it and you see the incredible things these people can do and you see it every day. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm consider myself pretty dang lucky. I just um, want to say that that sounds incredible. I also want to take a moment to thank you, given how hard you work your vocal cords for taking some time to talk with me during your schedule. Um, you know, I, I hope that this isn't like putting any of your uh, singing ability at risk. I mean, it definitely sounds like an incredible experience that most of us don't have access to on a daily basis. But are there tedious parts of your job? No, no. Like we're, we're oh, well, doing my makeup. <laughs> yeah, that, that gets that gets old. <laughs> no, it, it, and the, the result yeah. is wonderful, but I wish it could just be like slap and it's on. But, you know, it's 45 minutes out of my day every day 
doing the same thing, staring at myself in the mirror, noticing all the lines and <laughs> things that weren't there yesterday. Um, yeah, that's probably the only thing that's that's tedious about it is doing my makeup every day. <laughs> I'm sure there will be some people who listen to this interview who are like, that that's tedious. I don't understand. But I I hear you and I can imagine, especially um, I mean, I've I've seen the photos and you look incredible, but if you're doing yeah, the same thing every day and and that's not sort of I assume you didn't get into Cirque for the makeup. Oh, and that's another misconception maybe that, that, that people have is, uh, you know, people are like, wow, all the artists do their own makeup. Yep. We, we have one person show us how to do it once. And then we have a little printout of the instructions and then you're expected to do it every single time after that. Well, um, I do want to ask, so you mentioned that you will be going back to Maui with your husband where you, you lived before. Um, And I know while you were there, you were pretty actively involved with um, a rescue organization. So one of the questions that I love asking people is what they would be doing if they weren't doing their current job. So I'm kind of leading you with this question. I'm wondering, would you be working with animals in some capacity? Yeah, definitely. So yeah, in Maui, I was working with the Maui Humane Society as their foster coordinator. And, uh, And that was really... Like I've I've always loved animals and um, always really believed in in the work that shelters were doing, um, but uh, just never really for whatever reason uh, just didn't get into it. And but in Maui I had that opportunity to do that, and I definitely got got hooked on that. Uh, when we moved to Maine, um, I was working at another animal shelter, you know, during the pandemic, I was working at another animal shelter, uh, the Animal Refuge League of Greater Portland, um, working with the dogs there. And, and so I made it a goal to when, when the circ opportunity came back around that I would continue doing that. And so when we were in Punta Cana, for example, uh, I was volunteering with uh, an organization there called Rescatame. Um, and you know, their, their whole mission, they're completely volunteer based. These women, they all have full-time jobs outside of this and, and they rescue dogs from the streets of Dominican Republic. If they're sick, they need medical care. Um, they rehabilitate them and then they try to find them homes, you know, off the Island. Um, and, uh, and so that was a, a great organization. I did a couple of spay neuter clinics there. Uh, as well as volunteering at their kind of quote unquote shelter, which was basically just a house where they were able to keep about 15 dogs at a time. Um, and, uh, and so that's something that, yeah, if, if I weren't doing Cirque, I would, I would definitely probably still be involved in animal welfare. And, and, uh, and like I say, uh, on this tour, I'm, I'm making it a goal to try and volunteer at as many organizations as will have me. <laughs> basically while I'm out on the road. Um, I have, I have uh, a place that I'm going to go look at and get to know when I get there, uh, here in Montreal, I wasn't able to find anything. They wanted their volunteers to be able to commit, you know, longer term, um, which is understandable. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm just looking for that opportunity to, um, to, you know, continue working with animals. And also I miss my dog. I miss my dog being out on tour and I just need to get some puppy love sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I hear that. And we are happy to um, put the links to some of those organizations in our show notes if folks want to check out any of those rescue organizations. Especially uh, Rescatame, they're uh, they're doing God's work down there for sure. Wonderful. 
Well, my last question for you is just, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to be asked about your work with? I, I feel like I hit all the things that that uh, I I think are interesting <laughs> about the job, but uh, but you know who knows maybe maybe somebody out there you know is interested in in uh, some random thing that I haven't thought of. <laughs> well, and I'll remind you and our listeners that we do always have the opportunity for um, listeners to ask follow up questions. So at some point, I may come back to you in the future if mm-hmm. um, folks have something that they want to ask you that we didn't cover today. Yeah, for sure. That'd that'd be great. Be happy to answer those. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Katie. It's been such a pleasure talking with you about your work. It's so clear that your love and enjoyment of what you do, you know, comes through with everything that you say. Um, And I really do appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule. I hope you enjoy the rest of your time off before you head out to the next location. Thank you so much. It, it was this was really fun getting to kind of geek out about <laughs> what I'm doing and and uh, and I'm just I'm just like I say I, I love your your podcast. The whole idea of, of uh, spotlighting occupations that people are like, whoa, that that's a thing. That's something that people do. I I, I think it's super cool. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of My Dilettante Life. Hosted by me, Hannah Binder, and produced by Jose Camacho. The podcast theme music was composed by Anna Bradley, with sound editing assistance from Yuli Anerson. The podcast logo was designed by Ashley Burke, with help from model Ivy Bean. If you're enjoying the podcast, the best thing you can do is share it with others. Whether you use Apple, Google, Amazon, Stitcher, or another podcast platform, you'll find the newest episode every other Wednesday. Check out the show's website for more cool content at hannabinder.com slash mydilettantelife. That's H-A-N-A-B-I-N-D-E-R dot com slash my dash dilettante dash life.